Thank you, Len. Next weekend is a mini missions conference, and uh, in addition to the spaghetti fundraiser, we have JD and Emily Dewey coming uh, for Saturday and Sunday. And uh, we're going to feed you well on Saturday because, uh, in addition to the spaghetti fundraiser, in the morning we have a breakfast uh, to have a personal time with JD and Emily. So, if you're available uh, next Saturday morning, um, in addition to signing up for the spaghetti, we ask you to also sign up for the breakfast and uh, we'll feed you well all day. And the sign up is right outside in the lobby. So, if you could do that afterwards, we would really appreciate that. Um, in addition, um, we put thank you cards in each bulletin. And if you know JD and Emily, um, we're just going to ask, um, even during the service here, if you think of something, um, just take a few minutes and just write something personal of how they've ministered to you or just thanking them for their service. And I'm going to talk a little bit about this at the end of my message too. Um, but uh, if you could do that and then just leave them either on the sign-up table for the dinner, I mean for the breakfast, or as you leave, there's a box. As you leave out the front door, there's a mailbox just to put it in there. That would be great. Let's just open with a word of prayer. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your presence here in our midst. Lord, we thank you for your grace in our lives. We thank you for your calling upon us. Lord, we thank you for how your spirit has sanctified us. And Lord Jesus, I do pray as we hear your word this morning that we will be sensitive to it, our hearts will be open. Lord, that uh, you will um, speak to us personally of what role we are to play, how we are to encourage our international workers. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that all that I say, Lord, that will come from you, that you will use me as your vessel. Help me, I pray. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, amen. Last week, I uh, mentioned that I was in the Congo for the summer in 1988. Uh, I was a seminary student and had the privilege of spending the entire summer in the Congo. And I talked a little bit about what I did last week, but um, I, I spent a couple days with a Bible teacher who was teaching in the Bible college by the airport, the Kinshasa airport, which is the capital city of the Congo. And uh, as I was <clears throat> meeting with him, there was a couple planes a day that would take off from Kinshasa airport going to Europe. And as I was meeting with him, one of these planes was taking off. And he turns and he comments to me, he says, you know, every day I see that plane leaving the Kinshasa airport, and every day I wish I was on that plane going back home. Now, I was an idealistic seminary student interested in overseas missions, and when he said that, I was shocked. I'm sure my jaw just dropped to the floor. I was shocked that a professional international worker with the Christian and Missionary Alliance would have such thoughts. Thirty years later, after having, been, having known many uh, Alliance workers and having been to many different fields, if an international worker were to say that to me today, I wouldn't be surprised. I would just put my arm around him and say, brother, let me just pray for you. The reality is, is that we have great people overseas, but there are a lot of struggles. And I'm going to, but we're not, they're not alone. 
I want to read here this morning from 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 to 11. I'm going to read out of the English Standard Version. So if you have your Bible, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 to 11. Paul is writing here. He says to the church in Corinth, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, and I'm going to put in parentheses, and sisters, not letting our women off the hook here, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer, so that many will give thanks on behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Now, that verse 11, I'm going to also read to you what the NIV says. I think it's a little bit of a better translation here. The NIV does not break up verses 10 and 11. It just says, On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. So here we have the great Apostle Paul right? Probably the most famous and greatest missionary of all time. And he's talking about his experience in Asia, which primarily was in Ephesus. And, I mean, the when you look at chapter 19 and his experience in Ephesus, it's, there's nothing there that jumps out at you in terms of this affliction that he was feeling. Matter of fact, some of the stories are unbelievable. It says in Acts chapter 19, verses 11 and 12, God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Now, when I read that, I think, my goodness, Paul's on a roll. I mean... Really, if I'm on the field and you take a handkerchief and you touch me and then you take that handkerchief and you touch somebody else and they're healed, I mean, it doesn't get any better than that, right? So you look at that experience and you say, what's Paul talking about? Well, we don't really know. I mean, I read everything I could find in Acts about his time in Asia Minor and I also looked at the commentaries and we don't know. But something either physically, emotionally, or spiritually happened in Asia Minor that Paul says to the church in Corinth, we were utterly burdened beyond our strength to the point that we felt the sentence of death. I mean, Paul's saying, look, I was at the end of my rope. There were, I had nothing left. <clears throat> but... He then goes on and says, I was totally dependent on the power of God who raises the dead to comfort me, to care for me, and, verse 11, on your prayers as the church for God to deliver. So Paul is saying here very clearly, look, I was at the end of my rope. God is the one that will deliver me, but God answered your prayers as the church. Your partnership 
in standing in the gap for me. Now, as I mentioned last week, the Christian Missionary Alliance has 700 workers around the world in 70 different countries. And these are remarkable, wonderful, godly saints who have heard the call of God, who have laid down their lives, and who are doing incredible work to see the church expand in these countries. And I don't in any way want to take anything away from the work that they are doing. But I'm going to be very forthright here this morning about some of the experiences and challenges and pressure points that I've seen our international workers experience. Because I believe we need to have our eyes open to realize that we have to be praying for our international workers. We must be standing in the gap for the work to succeed. So I'm going to bring up four different uh, pressure points, challenges, that I believe most international workers face. Now, every international worker is different. There's a lot of workers that probably would have a different set of four, okay? So this is not necessarily, you know, written in stone. It has to be these four. These are the four that, from my experiences, I feel affect most international workers. And, you know, each one is different. You know, for, it might be a couple for one, a couple for another. But I feel it's important for you to hear these four. So the first one is motivation. We just sang the song, Lay Me Down, right? We are called by God to be a slave to Jesus Christ. The Greek word is doulos. It means literally slave. He saved us. We lay down our lives in obedience to his will for our life. That's the gospel. Almost all international workers have gone overseas because they, have, because they believe they've been called by God to lay down their life in obedience to his call. That's why they've made that choice. That's why Katie and I, who served in Poland, went to Poland. Okay? We felt called by God. I talked last week about the calling that God had on our lives back in, on my life in 1984. We went to seminary, came out of seminary. We planted a church in Omaha, Nebraska. And in 1997, God said, okay, it's time. I want you to leave. Now, that was an incredibly difficult decision. I had gone 10 years knowing that God had put that call on my life. But when God said finally to me, it's time, that was not without sacrifice and stress, okay? Because by that time, we had two little boys. I had planted a church that was doing very well, a church that loved me as their pastor. We had very close relationships. We had bought a house. We had material possessions. And God is saying, okay, I want you to let all of that go, and I want you to go to a place you've never been before, a culture you don't know, a language you don't know, and I want you to trust me, and I want you to serve me there. And I want to tell you, that was a stressful decision. But it was amazing to me how many people, even inside of the church, would say to me, Wow! Isn't this exciting? Wow! You're getting to be an international worker and serve God and go to a new place, and experience all these new things. And I would sit there, and I didn't say it, but I'm thinking, 
you know, if this is so exciting, why aren't you going? I mean, it was a decision of obedience, if I'm honest about it. And most international workers, that's what it is. Now, that can differ, but it's not, they're not going because it's exciting. They're not going because it's a vacation. They're going out of obedience. Two is the loss of personal belongings and relationships. Now, I think this affects the women more than the men in general. But there's always a loss, okay? And I just talked a little bit about the fact that when we left Omaha, we had to sell our house, we sold all of our personal belongings, but really what was more difficult was letting go of the relationships. Because you know you're not just going for a year and coming back, okay? I, in the early 90s, I was working for a chemical company and that's what my wife and I did. They sent us to England for a secondment, they brought us back, one year. We knew we were coming back. That was completely different, okay? Yeah, okay, we put our stuff in storage. We had a great time. We loved the church there. We came back. When you're an international worker, for most international workers, especially in the Christian Missionary Alliance, it's indefinite, okay? When we left Omaha, we were being sent out by the Western PA District. We did not, I mean, we thought we're never coming back to Omaha. We may never see these people again. That was hard, okay? That was very hard for my wife. It's a loss. It is a real personal loss. Number three, I believe, is the one that affects men more than women. This is the one that really affected me. That's the loss of identity. So, you leave this culture, you obviously know the language, you have a position, you're respected, and now you're plopping yourself in a strange land, a strange culture, and you can't even buy a loaf of bread. I mean, it is a shock. Now, plenty of funny stories about language learning, right? I'm gonna give you a couple. My wife goes into a small butcher shop. She wants to go buy chicken breasts. And at this point, we're about a year into the language learning. We're you know, getting somewhat conversational, but we're definitely struggling. She goes into the, the, chicken, the butcher shop and she asks for the religious songs of three chickens. And everybody starts laughing. And it's like, okay, what did I do? Right? It's like, what did I do? Or she's standing on the balcony and there's a storm coming and she sees this dark cloud coming on the horizon and she looks and she says, wow, look at that stomach coming. I got plenty of those stories. Because if you're going to learn a language, the way you learn it is by practicing it. And when you practice it, you're going to make mistakes. And if you don't make mistakes, you're not really, you're not really learning the language. So there's plenty of that. Most of the time, it's humorous, it's funny, but I want to tell you something, after a while, it wears on you. The laughter wears you down. Or when the laughter comes when you don't appreciate, you know, you're not expecting it, or when you're preaching, or whatever it might be, it's, or when you say something that you shouldn't have said, it really hurts your psyche, okay? The one that really got me was the loss of identity. As I mentioned to you, I was a pastor in Omaha. Church of 150, I was the senior pastor. I knew my position, right? I had been the church planner. I had everybody respected me for the most part. 
we were well-loved, cared for. I knew my identity. All of a sudden, I am plopped into this country where I have no clear role. In fact, initially, my role is to learn the language, which I'm, I'm a medium language learner, okay? My wife, they would have sent her anywhere. Me, you're going to these countries. So, you know, it was a struggle. But the harder struggle was, what is my role here? Now, there are a few international workers that have a defined role as a Bible teacher or medical personnel, but most international workers, the role is somewhat fluid, right? It's not always defined, it's not always clear. Most of the time, you're working as an advisor with the pastors. It's not a clear role, and that can be a tremendous struggle for men. Because we want to know that we are important, that we have a role, that we have an identity, and we link it to our job. And for most, there's no clear role. So I am going to be very open with you here for the next few minutes. Uh, you know, I really struggled with this. And there were times where I really was really struggling, probably with depression. And I went back and I looked at my journal of what I wrote in some of these periods. And I'm going to read to you a paragraph of what I wrote back in August of 1999. This is 18 years ago. It's a different life, okay? I can assure you, when I wrote this, I never dreamt I would be reading it to an entire church. Mindless anybody reading it. But I feel it's important for you to hear what was going on inside of me, because I'm not alone. Because I want our eyes to be opened to realize these are real struggles. And when Paul says the sentence of death, he's not alone. So here's what I wrote in my journal, August of 1999. Just to put a little bit in context, we had just had a miscarriage about a month earlier, and we had just moved to Warsaw. So there was a lot of fluidity here, okay? It is not, quote, it really is not my desire to be miserable. I really want to experience the joy of the Lord, but I seem unable to find it. I feel like a failure. Everything I try to do fails in my hands. I know this is not really true, but it feels that way. And I get angry with God because he ordained this course for me. I did not choose it, and yet I endure the pain. I want to serve the Lord with all my heart, but I am afraid. Can I trust God? Will I really prosper? I know my pain threshold cannot endure much more. The constant reminders of what a failure I am are always before me. I cannot escape them. They haunt me. They plague me. They are a disease in my body. I want to experience joy in the Lord, but I only feel pain. That was where I was. The fourth thing is hostility. We are now living in an age where we are sending our international workers to the most difficult, hostile countries on this planet, the most resistant countries, the countries deep within the 1040 window. And we're sending them there for good reason, because these are the people groups, the countries that need to hear the gospel the most. But they are the most resistant and sometimes hostile. And our international workers are many times suspect. 
Scott and I had the privilege of going to Colorado Springs in January to hear a conference on, for um, mission leaders in the church. And we got to hear the testimony of a gentleman, one of our international workers who's in one of these countries. And he was sharing with us that at any time they could have the police come into their apartment or into their office, take them down to the police station, the government buildings, and interrogate them. At any time, they could have the police come into their apartment and ransack it and take their computers, and it's happened for no apparent reason other than they are suspect. That, my friends, is stress. Many of you know Summer Hartzler. She is one of the partnering international workers we have. She's in Germany. A couple years ago, she came back. Actually, just last year, she came back for her one-year um, home assignment. And I was so excited as the head of the missions team that we are going to have summer for the entire year. Thinking, wow, this is great. She can minister to the church. She can share all about her ministry. She can get us all excited about missions. This is great that she's going to be here the entire year, living right here in Wadsworth. So she, she comes home, and after she settles down, I have her come to the missions meeting. And I'm sharing with her for five to ten minutes about all the plans that I have of how she can work with us and all different ministries and everything. And after about ten minutes, she looks at me with this look of exhaustion. And she says, Kevin, I'm going to be honest. I am emotionally and spiritually drained. I have just been in a country that is totally dead spiritually. I'm dry. I have nothing to give. I need fresh water to minister to me. That's why I'm here. And it was like somebody hit me with a bucket of cold water. Now, I would not, have, I would not share that if I did not get her permission. So I emailed her last week and I said, Summer, do you remember when you came to the missions meeting and this happened? Do I have your permission to share that? And she wrote me back and she said, yes. And then she said, quote, that is really awesome that you have this opportunity on Sunday to share some of your story and the challenges that we face. Wow. You see, I believe that our international workers want this to be told. The problem is there's no form to often tell it. But if we don't know, then how can we pray? Again, these are wonderful people. People who have done amazing things. But I can tell you in all my years of experience of knowing international workers personally, of being on the field, I have seen, personally, international workers have terrible bouts of depression. I've seen fits of rage resulting in property damage. I've seen serious conflict on the field to the point that some have had to leave. And I've seen moral failure. Again, nobody goes to the field with those intentions. But there are pressure points that sometimes get the best of us. That's why Paul writes, I felt the sentence of death. I mean, I don't know how much stronger language he could use. 
I was at the end of my rope. I couldn't, I despaired even of life, the Apostle Paul writes. And there are many international workers that understand those very words. So why am I sharing these things? The exact same reason the Apostle Paul shared it with the Church of Corinth. Brothers and sisters, so you can be informed. You see, if we're ignorant of these very things, then we cannot do our job. We cannot respond. But when we are informed and we are aware, then we understand our role. And our role is to be partners with our international workers, supporting them, caring for them emotionally, physically, financially. And I believe that unless we do that, they will not succeed. The job will not get done. If we don't partner with them as one in the Lord, they have no chance. I firmly believe that. The stresses, the hardships, the sacrifices are too great. They need to rely on Christ, but we must be praying and caring and showing our support. And in verse 11, Paul says something that I think is the most important thing, where he says, many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. It's a little awkward sentence structure, but again, Paul is saying that when you, when you partner together with our ministry and you pray, then when God answers, we all celebrate, don't we? You know, if I'm partnering with somebody, if I'm caring about you and I'm praying that you're, getting, you're going to get a job and I'm praying that you get a job or I'm praying for your situation or I'm praying for your marriage, whatever it might be, and then God answers, I'm going to celebrate with you, am I not? And that's what Paul is saying here. When you pray for our ministry and then you see God answer those prayers and do great things that pushes back darkness and sees people saved and the church grow, all of us together celebrate together because we are legitimately partnering with that ministry. Now, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, we have partnering relationships with J.D. and Emily Duick in Senegal and also with Summer Hartzler in Germany. Yes, it's true the Christian Missionary Alliance has 700 workers. We can't legitimately partner with 700 people and be effective. But as freshwater, we can partner with these two families. And when I say partner, I mean of giving everything we can to help them be successful. To showing them that we love them, that they are special. We are behind them. We will support them in every way possible. That is so dear to my heart. That is so important. Not only as a head of the missions team, but as a Christian, as a brother and sister in the Lord. They have made the sacrifices. They are living making those sacrifices. And I pray that us, as the church, as the body, as brothers and sisters, can stand in the gap, wrap our arms around them, and say, we are here for you. We are willing to stand in the gap 
share in these burdens, share in these sacrifices, to care for you, to love you, to support you, to be with you, whatever your needs are, that you can be open with us because we are your brother and sister in Jesus Christ. That's my hope, my dream, my passion, that we're there. They know it, and they care for it. That's why on Saturday I am praying that we can have a good turnout to show them that we do care about them. Also, I pray that for any of us that know J.D. and Emily, that we can write a few sentences of what their ministry means to us, drop it off at the table, at the sign-up table, or in the mailbox going out. And then when J.D. and Emily are here, I pray that we can really show them how much we appreciate them. You know, one of the things I've seen in my life from the 70s onward is how much we have grown as a country in appreciating our military personnel. I think it's wonderful. Our military personnel who give of themselves in some awful situations to fight for our freedom, the fight that we have of freedom as a country deserve our appreciation. And I've seen our country change from the 70s to now where we are willing and able to do that. I believe it's the same for our international workers. They have gone and made these sacrifices. They will get their reward in heaven. I know that. But they also deserve our appreciation here. So when J.D. and Emily are up here next week and they're introduced, I pray that we will stand up and we will applaud them just like their military personnel. We will show them that, yes, we love you, we care for you, and we appreciate what you have done. I just want to finish with a slide that Summer sent over this past week. And again, just showing you how much we mean to our international workers. She sent this thank you card as an appreciation for some of the gifts that we sent over to the German field. This is meaningful, folks. This really means, supports them, and it carries them. I remember when I was in Poland, we were sent to the field in 1997 out of the Charlotte, North Carolina Conference of the Christian Missionary Alliance. And I remember there was probably 14 of us on the stage, and it was the annual conference, so there was, I don't know, a thousand people out there. And when we were commissioned, everybody stood up and applauded for about 10 minutes. I want to tell you what, when I was in Poland, struggling, I remembered that applause. Because what I remembered was that, yeah, I'm misunderstood here, people don't know why I'm here, but there are people who know why we're here. There are people who care for us and love us. And that meant something to me. And it means something to J.D. and Emily and to Summer. And the more of us that can stand in the gap and show that appreciation, I believe it will carry them to, do, to be faithful to the call of God upon their lives. Let me close with a word of prayer. Lord, thank you. Lord, for the, your calling. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you will use us to do your work wherever it may be. And Lord, I pray that as J.D. and Emily come here next week, Lord, help us to show our appreciation that they are special and that we do care for them. 
Lord, even if we have to go a little out of our comfort zone in expressing our love, I pray that we may do that. That we may wrap our arms around them and we may show them that we are willing to make the sacrifices to support them. Thank you, Jesus, for your word, and I thank you for each person here. I thank you in the name of Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Amen.